0: Yeah. See now, light is green. Trap is
1: clean. Um, hey, hey,
0: you know what? At least us. you caught yourself like in the middle of the introduction and not thirty-five minutes in. So
1: there's this that. This also I that. very true. <laughs> oh, that would have that would have just been like that. No, screw it. I'm doing it live. <laughs> We're just gonna live stream this now. <laughs> oh God. Because that won't go badly at all. All right.
2: Oh no. Let's L- take live two. stream with all a right. chat on the side that we can respond to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh that 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 will also go well. All right. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that wants to to wish you a happy new year. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And we'll see if we get Richard later on. Uh, We are recording the day after New Year's Day, so he may still be sleeping in. He may have had a very, very long New Year's, so uh, we'll see if we (laughs) can loop him in later. Uh, But uh, today, we wanted to actually talk about some of the things that are looking to come down the pipe in 2022 and uh that's going to be our main topic uh so first i would say as first as always news and new releases but most of that news we are going to cover in our main segment but there are a couple things that don't quite fall into that that i did want to cover um uh, as far as model releases that aren't covered in what we're going to be talking about in our main section the two big ones are more primaris marines because we needed that apparently um for reasons, but I will say the like, space
0: marines have been a long neglected line, and we've not gotten <laughs> enough Primaris marines thus far. So it, it totally makes sense that we, they would get updates instead in front of things like Eldar and Chaos. Perfectly right.
1: I Okay, so one I will say is I'm glad that they're selling the Primaris Ancient as a separate model now. Because that was a yes. model that was only available, I think, in Dark Imperium, wasn't it? I believe that's or correct. I don't think they'd ever. Yeah, it was dark. Yeah, I don't period. think they'd ever. Dog. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was the first one. Yeah. So no, I'm glad that they released it. I'm glad that that the the was it the lieutenant in in Gravis armor is that? Captain was that in that the other Gavis one,
2: armor. Captain in yeah, Gravis cap. armor.
0: Um, I'm glad they released that because the only other one we had for that was a push fit one. So those are kits that did need to be out there. Like so, I'm fine with those releases.
1: Yeah, and he's got a couple of options like power sword, chain sword, a helmet or not. Uh according to the post, he has not mastered the shovel as a weapon. So Deathcore had have. Have one up on him. <laughs> <laughs> uh so those are like the the two model releases that have you know been announced that they have they're not up for pre order. And then uh like the re- the rest of the orcs I think are now up for pre order as of yesterday. As of New Year's yep. Day. So we
0: can finally buy those Death Coptas individually, like, without plastic having to buy Plastic
1: Death Coptas so. are actually available as separate products. That's a, that's a thing we've the been old, waiting to say for, what, 15 years? <laughs> yeah, and the, the plastic war boss that has been, like, unnamed, like, once was named character, then unnamed character is now available as a, a separate buy now as well, so. yeah. Yeah, the uh, the war boss with attack squid. Um basically all the stuff from the combat patrol orcs are now available as separate purchases. So you can buy multiple orc boy kits yeah. if you rather than buying a whole bunch of combat patrols. Uh so that's all available for pre-order now. Uh, the other thing that we want to talk about, and something we haven't mentioned nearly as much as we probably should have been lately, is Midwest Conquest. Uh Now, you may not realize we are not – well, I, Kevin, you are running an event at Midwest Conquest, but we <laughs> yeah. are – we have handed off uh a, the, a lot of the – main operations of Midwest Conquest to the Hero- Heroic Morale 40K Club, uh, some friends of ours in the area who are very into the competitive scene. And so we figured they would be the best choice to to take this on. And so we've had a registration up for a little while, but we haven't promoted it as much. And obviously there's been a lot going on lately. Right. <laughs> uh, but we wanted to just let you know that, yes, Midwest Conquest 2022 is coming uh it is still going to be memorial day weekend uh we are still having a 40k grand tournament a 40k friendly tournament which is what you're running kevin Yep, yeah, that is correct uh a night joust and new for this year because we are now in a new the event is in a new hotel where we actually have access to bar service there will be a beer hammer event on friday night as well so, yeah. uh and in fact that location is the Stony Creek Hotel and Convention Center in Independence, Missouri. So, no longer are we located in downtown uh Kansas City, but we are right off of I-70, one of the major arteries uh across the state. So, uh we're in a, actually it's a very good central location. There's lots of shopping and restaurants like immediately around this area. Yeah. And Uh, The local Warhammer store is just a few blocks away, you know, more or less. It's (laughs) it's I mean, it's not like just down the street, but you can it's like a two minute car drive. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's really close. So uh, and we are going to have vendors on site as well. Your Games and Hobby will be running uh, vendor locations uh, their vendor booth on site. Something else we are allowed to have at this new location because (laughs) we are running the show. So or. We are part of the group that is running the show. We aren't doing everything ourselves. Right. Uh, but yeah, that room block is available for if you want to get a room at the hotel. Um, so uh, registration is up for all of those events. Uh, I think we are extending the early. We were yeah, had have the pricing ending at the like the early pricing, which is like $5 less through the end of the year. Uh, we are going to extend that to what the first of March, I believe.
0: Yeah, so it's sixty dollars to sign up for either of the events through the first of March, and then it goes up to sixty five after that. Um, so yeah, we you know get a little bit of a discount to get in early. Uh, room block will be available, and there's instructions on the website for how to go to go book the rooms. Um, we do get a discounted rate, but that rate is only valid through the beginning of May. Um, so if you're interested in coming and want to you know, want to buy a ticket for the event, uh, book your room in advance as well. Um, You can stay on site. It's a really nice hotel. There's plenty of rooms, plenty of stuff nearby, uh, lots of good shops, lots of restaurants. Um, I'm really excited about this location um, just because I think it is better for what we're trying to do for the event. And we have plenty of space. We have plenty of space to grow. Um, You know, my hope is that if this, you know, if we if people are willing to come back to us and you know and and you know come to the event, that we can continue to grow this going forward. So, I'm excited. Absolutely,
1: <laughs> yeah. And you have also been busy cranking out prize support for this event. <laughs> yes, I have. Um, so, you know, anybody that came to
0: Midwest Conquest 2019, like our top prize that we gave away was a uh, 3D printed uh, Primaris bolt gun and then we had a couple of other you know 3d printed items for uh prize support for the friendly and for you know just random door prizes and stuff um so i've been i've been working on 3d printing since then you know so all of you know all of 2020 all of 2021 and you know so i've got a just a bunch of stuff uh so much that i actually when i came home for christmas this year i actually drove because i had a car load of power swords and weapons and things like that, that were all 3d printed. So those are being, um, parceled out and painted up by the, uh, heroic morale, um, group, you know, for, for prize support. Some of those will go to, you know, faction surprises. Some of those will go to, uh, best overall prizes. Some will just go into the door prizes. Uh, we've got a lot of really cool stuff. Um, we're also working on a couple of raffle armies, um, for our uh for our charities that we do every year um we've got a lot of really cool stuff happening for this one so i really do hope that people um come back and attend because i think it's going to be really fun and it'll be really great to have the event after you know having two years off um be great to just see everybody and and be back into back into hosting events
1: (laughs) yes absolutely now um obviously we're we are watching the you know events on the ground as far as like the latest strain of covid and everything obviously the fact that omicron seems to be somewhat vaccine evasive has put uh you know put a little bit of a monkey wrench in plans as far as just you know being able to to just have a bunch of people uh you know vaccinated and maskless at the event but they're hoping that the peak on that is January like sometime in the next couple of weeks so giving mm-hmm. given that this is in happening at the end of May we don't know what the what things are going to look like then so we are going to will will announce like you know health and safety guidelines closer to the event uh but we are yeah. carefully watching uh what conditions look like and because we want to make sure that uh you know this is not just a fun event but a healthy and safe event and that the only things that people are possibly bringing home are their armies and some prize support and not some uh, unexpected gifts to share with their friends so
0: exactly uh, so we'll, yeah yeah so we we'll, are definitely going to be working with other like local events cuz um uh show me showdown had their event you know uh midmo maelstrom all these other ones so we you know flying monkey had tournaments during covid so we're working with them to get their, you know, all their health and safety procedures and to make sure that everyone has a fun time, but also that everyone stays safe.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, we the goal is to, you know, it's like barring some sort of situation where we are forced to cancel, we do not see ourselves canceling the event this yeah. year. Anyway, I mean, as far as I know, even like Adepticon is going forward. So, I mean, yeah. this... This there are this can definitely be done. Um we're dedicated to seeing it through and, and making it happen. So uh it yeah, it's been a couple of years off. Um and it'll be a slightly different crew doing the, the main operations, but uh we will be there, uh whether we are running events or in some cases playing in them, because uh we have a little bit more freedom in that regard. So look, see you there. Um right now the As I mentioned, we have uh, there's the GT, which is going to be our main event. We are hoping to get uh, at 80 players for that is our goal. Uh, So, uh, because we definitely want to get major
0: major status, that's what we were at pre. You know, in 2019, we we were at 80. So, I think that that's a good goal to get back to that. And I and I think Mm -hmm. that, I think that's doable. There have been other large events in the area, so
1: yes. And I think there's people that definitely want
0: to come back and play,
1: (laughs) right. Uh, so, uh, the, G- yeah, that's the GT. There's the friendly, which is going to be, uh, a more casual environment. Uh, they- are you still working on the guidelines of exactly like what that format's going to look like?
0: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the one big thing is that like, obviously the rule, the missions have changed drastically since the last time we held the friendly. So I am going through and trying to figure out exactly the best way to do that. Um I'm kind of waiting on format because there's also the uh, LVO friendly that's happening at the end of the month. So I'm kind of waiting to see how they're, how they do theirs and, and what that looks like. Um, but uh, the way that we've done it in the past is we encourage themed armies. So we're going to be on the same schedule as the GT. So it's going to be five events, three hour rounds, um, you know, over the two days, so when you when you show up to play in the friendly, you're basically getting the full GT experience. You're just playing in a, a less competitive
1: environment. Um, so we yeah, an encourage people to have where
3: th-
1: I would say an environment where yeah, your army composition and your hobby skill is yeah. are both equally important as your exactly
0: rate. exactly. So, um. Yeah, we encourage themed armies and and painting and things like that. When I go to do the final scoring, which I, I have not yet finalized, but your win loss record in the missions is a third of your score. Your hobby and like theme is a third of your score, and then like just your sportsmanship and and you know the you know you know and stuff at the event is another third of your score. So you know a third of it is controlled by you, a third of it's controlled by your opponents, and a third of it is, you know, is the TO. Um, So I think it's a very fun event. Um, We had a lot of really great themed armies two years ago when we did it. It's the highlight of when I, you know, when I do go to LVO, it's the highlight of the time that I spend there. Um, I've I've had a blast doing that, and I really want to get you know, make these, make these events more, more popular because I think they're really good companion events for the GT and that's not to take anything away from the GT. I think it's great that people show up and play competitively, but I also want people who are interested in other aspects of the hobby to be able to go have a fun weekend and, you know, throw dice against random people, um, and show off their armies. So absolutely, you know, I really absolutely. do hope that it's, yeah. I really do hope yeah, that we get people sign up for it, because it's, it's a really fun event.
1: Yes. I've played in two LVO friendlies. I had a blast at both of them, because I got to bring armies that uh, were, like, either at the... T- like, I remember playing Sisters before the new Sisters Codex came out. Yeah. or Or uh, playing... Um, I I think the uh, when I went in 2020, I got to play my uh, Farsight and uh, Farsight and Shadow Sun, you know, like Montcalion Tao Army, yeah. and it wasn't great, but I had a lot of fun doing it because the, just like the, the mixed play styles and things like that. It was it was a, it was very enjoyable. So yeah, I and I encourage these because. I mean, I know Dennis, your event at the US Open was that like and once you got into like the lower the lower tiers, you were mostly get running into people who were just like, Yeah, I just wanted to so- show up, see what this was like, play a few games.
2: Yeah, and I think when they advertised the US Open, they kind of advertised it that way of saying that it was for all skill levels mm-hmm. and that if you just wanted to come and throw dice and meet new people, that was the way to do it. And it worked as advertised because like you said my first games the competitive ones were a little rough but they were still friendly and fun um but then once i got into the the lower bracket it was more these are people who i mean they were just here to play games as opposed i mean right. they wanted to win but they they just more here's my cool army i wanted to show it off and have some fun right
1: exactly. and and one of the reasons we do that it we we make the friendly an option is also because there are some people who, like, they're maybe they are just casual players. Maybe this is their first time going to a tournament and they don't necessarily want to get thrown into the pool with the sharks where, like, maybe that first game ends up being against a top-ranked player and they just get rolled. And maybe they get rolled a couple of games in a row and come away, like, having a bad time. Instead, like, here's an area where, like... If you're just getting your feet wet or if you're not looking to you're not chasing the big prize, you just wanna you, you just wanna get a chance to play five games over the weekend, here's an option. You don't required, like if you want to go into the competitive pool, absolutely. But also for the competitive players, that means they are more likely to face players who are there for the same reason. So exactly. you're not gonna get somebody who gets what might be considered an easy win on round one because they played somebody who like, this is their first tournament they've ever been to. So it, it, it kind of focuses both player groups into what they're interested in. And so that's kind of our goal there. Um, and then, uh, we're going to have the night joust on Saturday night. Uh, that is, a just a perennially fun event. we always have yeah, night a, just, a blast. <laughs> oh Yeah. And then uh, one of the new things, because we are, as I mentioned, we're at a new hotel where we actually have bar service. Uh, we are adding a Beer Hammer event this year. It's going to be Friday night starting at 6 p.m. It's a three-round event. Uh, small games, I think. We don't have the points totals. Or no, it's a 1,000 points. Sorry, it's right there. So it's a 1,000-point event. So small, fast, like hour-long games. Uh, each ticket is going to get you two beers from the bar and a little, little bit extra from the Heroic Morale team. And so, uh, this is basically just 15 bucks to show up, get a couple of drinks, roll some dice, make some friends, have a blast before the big event the next morning. Um, this is because alcohol is provided, although you do not have to drink if you would prefer to have water or soda, if you are not a drinker, like if I'm playing in this event, i'm i'd like beer a bit but i am not a heavy drinker so i would probably go for the the non-alcoholic option but because we will be serving alcohol uh no players under 21 are going to be allowed for for this particular event uh but uh all ages for the for the gt friendly and night just so we're excited to have that on the uh the agenda as well um we and as as you said Kevin we are looking to expand um hopefully if this if everything goes well with this we're hoping to maybe add Age of Sigmar next year as well i think for the first yeah. year we're just we're we're sticking with our known strengths and uh then we will see you. also it's a matter of finding finding staff and people to run the games because while we can staff up for 40k and the friendly um and we can definitely and then night joust and beer hammer very easy to handle uh you want to have as evidenced by the letter we received last episode we are not age of sigmar players so having us run and (laughs) run and judge an age of sigmar event would be a bad idea so we would have to find someone to run that so uh in the you know it's kind of like if if it happens it happens but at this point we are not planning on it but we are looking at 2023 as maybe expanding our range of games that we cover and I think that, pre- that pretty much covers everything we have for, for Midwest Conquest. But yes, you can go to MidwestConquest.com uh, to find the details, or you can also search for Midwest Conquest on uh, Best Coast Pairings. Uh, these events are happening May 27th through 29th, 2022. Uh, so you can find all the events there and register, uh, register now and uh, secure your spot for those events. And again, all the hotel information is on the Midwest Conquest uh, website as well. And that takes us to listener mail. Uh, we've got two letters this time. Uh, first one is a follow-up to the follow-up to our original Australian pricing issue. <laughs> uh, and this <laughs> is actually from Andrew Trowbridge, who wrote us the letter last episode about, like, buying from a Polish web store being cheaper than buying locally in Australia. And so we continue, we broke down exactly why that is. And so Andrew Took the time to write back to us, and I just wanted to read this because I, I, I really did appreciate what he wrote because it's something I think I I ha- see happen very rarely. Thanks for the uh, he writes, thanks for the very dedicated look into this topic. I wasn't expecting such a good breakdown. I feel better about buying locally. We change someone's mind on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, that's that's exactly why I wanted to do the breakdown so that yeah so that people could look at that pricing and see like this isn't just pulled out of nowhere. There there is reasoning behind this, even if it If it seems weird. So anyway, he continues. On the minimum wage topic, I was thinking your point was that Australians can afford to pay more because wages are higher and GW knows this and will try to get more money from Australians that way. This makes sense, but my initial reaction was thinking, well, they should charge doctors more than fast food university students can because doctors can afford to pay more. That, of course, is impossible for GW to accomplish and morally wrong. Also, to my knowledge, the UK has a a value-added tax, which is applied to their web cart prices. I'm pretty sure they don't have to pay the VAT tax when they send stuff overseas which that is may very well be true Uh, anyway i just think regional pricing sucks because it definitely does push people to recasts because they think gw is ripping them off compared to other countries thanks for your time and i always enjoy the podcast well thank you andrew yeah regional pricing is one of those things that it doesn't seem intuitive like you look you know like going back to the original letter it's like We, you look at the exchange rates and you're like, well, why doesn't it just cost the same if I adjust for prices? And yeah, it's one of those things where you really have, you really do have to go down the rabbit hole of all the economics involved in the multiple stages of the process. So it's, and it is confusing and it does lead us to think that, you know, some territory or other is getting screwed over and it doesn't help when like bad guy GW, you know, 10 years ago was like, no, you can't sell from like, you can't sell GW product from a, from a web cart, you know, cause we are the only ones who can mm-hmm. sell it from a web cart. It's like, yeah. And notice they don't have that problem as much anymore. I think you can, I, I see plenty of stores that sell GW product through, I mean, hell, tabletop game and hobby. One of the lo- our local stores has, I've ordered GW stuff through their web store. So obviously <laughs> that is no longer a thing. And GW has kind of... I don't want to say they're, they've completely pulled back on the, the anti-competitiveness because there's a whole thing that we didn't even get into from last year about their IP and uh, going after like fan animations online after yeah. Warhammer Plus launched. Um, that is a landmine field... <laughs> I do not want to wander into. It's one of those cases of legally allowed, but maybe not the best call PR mate wise, but and there was there was a lot of discussion on that. But uh but for the most part, like GW has, you know, besides protecting their IP, which they're legally allowed to do, I think GW has kind of learned to understand that they are not I, I think they their initial reaction to not being the only game in town when not so much like War Machine to an extent, but especially X-Wing started uh, drinking their milkshake Mm -hmm. Um, They're They've kind of learned to, to roll and grow and just lean into the fact that they do make some of the best models in the industry as far as plastics. And at the same time, they've really tried to work on tightening up their rule sets and, uh, supporting him to have a place so they they're trying to lean into business competition by just focusing on making a better product which is the way you should do it rather than trying to screw over competition at the retail level so right um but yeah i i know i totally get where the the pricing concerns come from and and when you're looking at your wallet and, and knowing that this is kind of a luxury hobby and it's it's hard it's hard so i i don't blame anybody from having uh, you know, sticker shock as it were, especially, in, you know, when you are in an a area where the prices just seem ridiculously high, but yeah, Andrew, again, thank you for writing, writing back in and, uh, letting us know that we actually were able to kind of relax your concerns a bit. That, that, that feels good. Um, and then our second letter is from Jeremy Hagen, and Jeremy writes, 2022 is the year of the wah at my house, as I plan on updating many of my 10-plus-year-old models with updated paint schemes, as well as integrating the new models that I've gotten. People make jokes about Space Marine lieutenants, but some amazing Orc characters have snuck onto my hobby shelves. I blame bro- Boss Nickrot. Uh, anyway, I've noticed that the 150-millimeter oval base would be a perfect size for my Orc trucks, and update their look and matte and match the overall look of their buggies. I'm disappointed by the GW web store, and I even asked my local store manager because they don't look to be available in spite of the fact that several of the miniatures that GW produces come with that size. I know that custom base manufacturers often produce this size, but since I'm trying to unify my aesthetic without the pain and expense of custom bases for my collection of boys and grots, that seems out. Reaper makes an oval base that is close, but small enough from the GW 150mm, that I don't think the truck will fit well. Can you think of any other alternatives that I didn't mention? Can you think of a reason why GW hasn't released this size of base? Even the once elusive 28.5 millimeter base that premiered with the Sisters Repenture Squad became available not too long ago. I think that the 150 millimeter premiered with the Grey Knights Dread Knight back in fifth edition, or do we just all write kindly letters to Games Workshop on behalf of the few of us looking to put our trucks on bases? Thank you and happy new year, Jeremy from South Dakota. Yeah, so basing is weird. Uh basing is is weird. Uh basing sizes. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the 28.5 mm bases for Repentia and yeah, being able to not being able to buy those separately for a long while was one of the reasons why I wasn't eager to jump into Repentia and especially rebasing my Repentia and then waiting for people to do resin 28.5 mm bases for Repentia, which I finally have. Um but uh for the hundred and fifty mil, yeah I was surprised looking on the GW store that uh that they did not have the uh the hundred and fifty mils um as a separate purchase. Now the let's see, the Nemesis Dreadnought. It does not specify which size base it comes on <laughs> comes on so <laughs> um, yeah.
0: yeah, it definitely seems odd that they don't have that one available. I know that they have like various base packs, but I think those only go up to like the
1: ninety mil um yeah they, for the and ones they, that they or sell, they have so. like a hundred and seventy mil oval that's too large for what he's right. Running. Uh, let's see. I'm just trying to find out, like, what other things might come with that base. Sometimes they tell you, and sometimes they don't. Like, the kill rig, the new kill rig comes on the 170 mil base. but the And I don't think the bu- – I think the buggies come on smaller bases, because they're obviously small. I think they're smaller than trucks.
0: Yeah, because there's – because I'm looking at the GW Web Store right now, and there are – let's see here. 32 mm oh, no, 25 mm
1: the, the Death Killer mm. war bike comes on the 150 mil oval. Okay. And uh yeah, the buggies come on 150 mil ovals. <laughs> um so if you wanted to mount and that's, you know, that's one of those things where they've started mounting these smaller vehicles like they're bigger than bikes. So traditionally, they wouldn't have – they would have been vehicles and they wouldn't have had bases. But now that the rules for vehicles and monsters and such have all been unified, it makes sense to make them on bases. And yet not everything is on bases, especially like transport vehicles and such. But some transport vehicles like are on flying bases and it's just – it's a whole thing. And the one model that absolutely needs to be on a base, the Defiler and the Soul – Soul – a grinder, <laughs> you know, based on it is not on a base, despite the fact that it absolutely should be on a base. Uh, maybe you we'll would get a redesign on that kit and, uh, it'll finally have a base.
2: But I, I don't know how many more times you can say base. Base. Oh, I'm a basic oh, bitch when it comes to bases. To us.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, when it comes to, uh, to putting your trucks on 150 mil bases, I did find a couple, uh, both by Kromlech and you can actually find them on their Bits of War website. So they have two options. One is uh, a set of clear acrylic bases at 150 mil. So... If let's say you like the look of a truck on a base, but you don't want the base to be visible so it doesn't mess with any aesthetic, that is definitely an option. Um, so, yeah, and they are just like clear acrylic, similar to the clear acrylic that they used for the bases for like terrain at the U.S. Open. So it just you get this oval that kind of covers the area of where your base would be, um, you know, visually. The other option is and those are' I think they were like seven ninety nine or nine ninety nine um uh seven seven uh seven euro ninety nine so, and then for f- and that's a set of four a clear acrylic bases and then for i believe four let's see four acrylic or uh, for four euro ninety nine they have the same thing but in hDf board so like high high density fiber board. Uh, and they even have an example of one of their like buggy like custom buggy kits ma- mounted on this. Uh one reason I think I would actually recommend the uh the HDF. One it is a non-clear base so you can paint it up, texture it just like one of your regular Uh, buggy bases and it'll look consistent. The other reason is because HDF I think is going to be easier to drill into and the reason I mention that is you may want to have the trucks removable from the base because not everybody is going to want to play against somebody who has their trucks on bases because technically for competitive event or for like a pickup event uh, trucks don't come on bases and therefore adding a base to it kind of changes the footprint of it and may, may not be considered a viable, you know, effectively a conversion. You, you know, someone might try to argue that you're basing for advantage by giving a slightly larger footprint, which would allow like boys to be a bit further from it when you like, like you might get an extra half inch of disembarking space, for example, Um so that is something to be concerned about, but an easy way to get around that is to magnet mount, basically drill into the tires on the uh, on the truck, put magnets in there, and then at the same spots on the base, put magnets of the opposite polarity so that you can, like, ma- you know, basically you can drop the truck onto the base, it's magnet mounted, so you've got it for appearance sake, if you're playing with someone who doesn't care if your trucks are on bases you've got bases that are not just going to come off if you pick up the truck but at the same time if you're playing an event like if you're playing in an event where they are not going to allow you to have your trucks on bases you just you apply a little bit of a little bit of oomph to it and just pop those separate and now you have your truck on the table without a base also this is really good for like if you're doing a display board where you want to have 150 mil oval cutouts and you can just drop all your vehicles into those. You can have your trucks on those and have them a little bit more secured and then just pop them off of the bases safely when you actually play. But those were the main two I saw, but they are actually cut to the same size as the GW bases. As far as why they don't have those bases separately, um, it may be a matter of they're just haven't released them as separate products yet. They may just not have, not feel that there's enough demand for them yet. Separate. I don't, you know, kind of like with the Repentia, when there's only one kit that uses a particular base, there's not a lot of incentive for them to sell the base outside of that kit. And in this case, there are buggy, multiple buggies and vehicles that use that base but that again that's the only thing but as more people want to do kit bashes especially for orc stuff they want to do customizations and kit bashes and such those bases I imagine will be made available because I mean you can get there's a they sell a lot of bases uh, that are rarely used like the 160 mil round or the 130 mil round yeah I think a big part of it
0: is just the fact that it is an older kit. Like, it has been around for a little bit. You know, as you mentioned, that the Dread Knight first using it in, you know, 20, whenever, Tickety 2, whenever it was released. um, You know, like, I, I think that's part of it. I think if it's, if they'd started using it more recently, I think they would have put it out there separately.
1: So, so I, actually, the Dread Knight is on 120 mil base. Oh. So it's on okay the then. flyer base. Okay, then I take that 100 hack. or. <laughs> Yeah, 120 <laughs> by 92. So, yeah, it's the Dread knights on the, the flyer base. You just don't glue the... It just doesn't come with the flyer stem.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Okay, so I take that back. I have no reason why, I have no idea why they haven't released it yet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I don't know why they don't have it, or even, you know, because it's not even listed as, like, temporarily not of, a, you know, out of stock. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Yeah, it's just not on there. And and as as Jeremy said, you know, he talked to his local store, and they're like, yeah, we can't order them. There's not even a SKU for it, so.
0: So, the other things that I will mention, and I know this isn't an option for everybody, um, you know, because there's certainly gray areas, I think, about, you know, uh, 3D printing models and, and bits and things like that, but... In a case like this, where it's like, oh yeah, I want a base, I want a specific size base, and it just doesn't, it doesn't exist. I have absolutely no qualms with people like want to three D print something to use for this, or you know, scratch build their own. As long as it's the right size, no, I, I have zero qualms with anybody like printing a base because you know GW doesn't sell it. Um, also. You know there are retailers like eBay and other like bit sites that you could probably buy the GW you know one fifty mil bases from uh, if you're interested. So I, those are options as well. I particularly like the the clear resin bait uh, the the acrylic base from Cromleck. I think that looks I just think it looks cool. Um, you know they have a picture of it on a buggy with it, and I just, I kind of like the way it looks. It feels very uh, non intrusive. On, on those on those vehicles like it just feels like it kind of blends in a little bit better I'm also lazy and don't like doing bases so there's that benefit um <laughs> there is that so like but yeah i I think there's definitely some options um you know if you have access to somebody that can 3d print stuff that's certainly a you know a way to go uh and it could be fairly cheap to do otherwise you know chromlick sells them there's bit stores that you can buy them like I do wish that gW would make it easier to buy them but there are other options out there, at least.
1: And it looks like we now have a Richard!
4: Woo-hoo! Yes! A Wild Richard has appeared.
1: A Wild Richard has appeared. Yay. So, Wild Richard, uh, what is your opinion on the idea of basing orc trucks?
4: Um, I... It, it is a thing that I had kind of considered doing myself, actually, especially since, you know, when the buggies came out and they had bases. Um... But... Eh. In a a matter of, like, transport and storage, I basically decided not to, considering I pretty much already have my KR cases for them and have, you know, they're in, like, the kind of custom size slot, so I'd have to pretty much redo those. Um, and I just kind of decided I didn't want to. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it it would be neat. I, I think actually I may take that direction that you suggested with the magneti- magnetizing the bases. Um, Cause I think that's a neat idea for like a display board specifically just for like display board use.
1: Right. Well, and with something like that, like even in, depending on how how you've got the base set up, theoretically with the base being separate, you'd even maybe slide it alongside the the truck in the slot or, you know, if it's right. removable, it's e- it's much easier to work around the storage for it than it is trying yeah. to, you know, trying to, to, you know, jam a permanently based truck in a mm-hmm. spot that is not cut for an oval. Right would and would you think that the the buggy base would be big enough for the truck?
4: Mm, I'm not it I I feel like that would be a little yeah, I think that would be a little snug. I feel like that would overlap a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of seeing if anybody else's
4: my and of course my carrot cases are a little inaccessible at the moment, so I can't immediately go and and look
1: I found a list of orc vehicle dimensions, but it's from twenty thirteen so I don't know how accurate that's going to be
4: <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know when I don't know when that orc truck came out.
1: well, this has an orc truck as two point five inches wide and five point five inches long, which is a bit narrower, but slightly longer than a rhino. Sounds right. Yeah, because the the trucks aren't that big. It's not like a battle wagon. You know, they're they're relatively so. If it's if that is
4: accurate, then yeah, that actually thinking about it, that's probably right. Sorry, I have doggy sitting <laughs> parents right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine.
1: So 150 millimeter base is 5.9 inches long, which is just a little bit longer than the truck. And 95 millimeters wide is 3.7 inches, 3 point, like 3.74 inches. So yeah, the truck should fit on there.
4: It's Yeah, it, it just kind of depends on, on how the, the corners line up. Right,
1: right, the right. corners are probably gonna overlap, although if it's three point five inches wide and the truck is only two point five inches wide it should it should barely yeah overlap so so it it's probably feasible, but yeah, I think having' them, having' them magnetized so that you can uh for for display or for casual games it's not a big deal but for some you know for a more competitive thing where a half an inch could make the difference between winning and losing i think having them removable is probably the safe bet because then it's just like that stops so many arguments <laughs> so yeah jeremy i would look i would primarily look at those uh those HDF Cromlec bases and magnetize them, I think that's your best option. But if you just don't... If you want to have them on bases, but go the Kevin route and just not do basing, those acrylics are definitely an option. And you can drill into acrylic as well. It's just wood's a bit easier to work with. Well, the
0: thing with the acrylics too is it's... You know, they're they're not as... It's not going to be as easy to remove them, as you mentioned. But the thing with the acrylics, them being clear, if you don't put anything on them... It's a little bit easier to be like, okay, we'll just measure from the base of the model. You know, so you can still kind of get around if somebody has like a, you know, uh, an issue with putting it on a quote-unquote larger base. Well, okay, you can just, you know, kind of you know, you can kind of ignore it a little bit easier I think than some of the other ones. So, I think it also could get you to that same that same spot. So it's really just preference.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully that answers your question. And if you have a question you want to have us answer on the air or commentary on something we've said or you know, whether it's a rules question, hobby question, uh just want our opinion on something, uh, there are three good ways to write us on the air. Uh first or there there are three good ways to get your letter read on the air. First is you can email us. So our email address is our first names at preferred enemies dot com. So Kevin at Dennis at Richard at Robert at let me try that again because I completely screwed it up. It's so our email uses, which is our first names at preferred So Rob at Kevin at, at Richard at preferred or also our first names at preferred You can write us there. Uh second is Facebook. We are at Facebook.com slash preferred enemies. Uh you can like us there, follow us. We post uh you know when new episodes are coming, takes on uh news, uh updates. We'll have updates on Midwest Conquest uh posted to our uh, facebook page as well Uh third is on twitter we are twitter.com slash preferred enemy singular and uh, you can send us messages and notes and letters on all three of those groups we throw them together put them in the hopper and get through as many as we can in a single episode uh, currently the hopper is empty so if you want to write you get uh, if you yeah. that So if you want to get your letter read on the air next episode, now's the perfect time. Uh, Also, we do have a Patreon as events start opening up. Uh, We will be traveling more, and your Patreon support helps cover things like uh, travel and hotel costs, but also covers the cost of hosting for this uh, podcast. The recording service we use for this podcast, as we are 100% remote, Uh, also covers costs of microphones and making sure that all our equipment is working and in proper... condition so we like we can do this show without you but you the supporters have really helped make this so that maintaining it going onward is not a huge burden and uh, we really appreciate it Uh, now if you have the money to help support the show we do ask like you look at your community first and see where you can put that money in Uh, as far as like food banks with winter coming up uh, anything like any sort of like food support uh donating uh blankets coats things that people are going to need uh in in the next few months to stay warm and safe uh things like that uh but if after you have have served your community, um, if you still want to help support the show, uh, you can go to Preferred Enemy or you can go to you can go to Patreon slash Preferred Enemies. It's basically an online tip jar. We don't lock any of our content behind a paywall. Uh, if you just want to give us a dollar a month, if enough people throw in a dollar together, it all adds up. It helps out. Like I said, it, right now we. You know, it definitely covers our hosting for all our podcasts going back to uh, episode fifty. We removed we we started running out of space on our current hosting, uh to and those old episodes are very bad sound quality, so those are or I mean, I have them archived away, so they're not gone forever. They're just offline. Uh but we don't lock any of our do those episodes really exist? Because it wasn't the current group of hosts, so I don't know. That I count. do. I I distinctly remember <laughs> recording them. I
0: mm, I I, just, I don't think I so. Mean, I think we can all agree the show got better when I joined.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. <sighs> Sorry. Continue. <laughs> that sound you just heard is John being run over by the bus. You tossed him under. <laughs> But no, we don't lock any of our episodes behind a paywall. So it's, like I said, online tip jar. But if you want to help out, we really do appreciate it. And so that takes us to our main topic, which is all the other news and new releases that have been announced for uh, the next few months. Uh, Now, we don't have timelines or we don't have timeframes on all of this. But uh, we're going to start off, I think, we're going to start off with talking about something that was kind of being teased and revealed with the advent calendar. And we talked about it last episode. Um, And that is, we finally now know what they were teasing. And that is the new uh, Eldari and Chaos Space Marine box, Eldritch Omens which uh, is going to feature almost completely new models, except for the one that isn't, which is a Forge Fiend, which is still interesting that a Forge Fiend is now in a box set. Right. (laughs) But uh, so the uh, first thing that they showed off is a brand new Autark. Uh, Autark with three head options, two torso variants, other options that they haven't released yet. Uh, it's armed with a starglave or scorpion chainsword. So that's the scorpion chainsword that we saw. We're not getting plastic striking scorpions yet, yet, yet. And uh, your pick of four ranged weapons for the other hand—they definitely show, uh, like the fusion rifle, the uh, Eldari missile launcher, and a splinter or a, uh, a shuriken pistol. Not splinter pistol. That's the wrong Eldari. <laughs> Um, And they do mention that the weapons and upgrades are cross-compatible with the existing Autark model. Now, they say two torsos, and I don't know if that means we're getting male and female torsos, because this Autark is definitely female. So, I don't know if that means male and female, or because the other Autark is already a male torso, if we're just going to have two options which... It, it, one option definitely looks to be a back banner. I'm wondering if the other torso option could be a uh, warp jump generator. Mm. Because that is a piece of work here that we don't currently have an Autark
2: version for. Or they could have both in a way because the front torso and the back torso are normally two separate pieces.
1: Right. True. And if the if it is compatible bits-wise if the back of the torso is compatible with the other Autark, that means you could make a female Autark with swooping Hawk wings.
2: We will have to see.
1: Yeah. So, uh, and then the other Autark model comes with the fusion pistol and a power sword. So it sounds like the hands are going to be compatible. So I, I'm curious to see what they do with this. Um, and it may also be – because, like, both of them have, like, capes, so it may be that the cape is going to have the same – like, the the back will have the same two holes that the uh, other Autark one has and that they just have pieces that can plug into those the way the wings do. So, also possible. Also possible. There's a lot of – but considering they're intentionally making this cross-compatible – that's really good for expanding the number of options that you have for like making sure everything's covered now it does require you to have two Autark kits, but still cool um just need to add
2: the rules where you'd want to have two autarks in your army yeah, there you go,
1: <laughs> <laughs> which who knows i mean so uh, the the part that uh, you know is kind of uns i think a little bit unspoken with this is that we are means we're definitely getting a new craft worlds Codex when this comes out. Because so far, every time they the in this edition that they've released a box set with two armies, though it's usually two armies we haven't seen much of yet, and those armies get new codexes around the same time the box set, barring supply chain delays like we got with uh, Custodes and Gene Steeler cults. Right,
2: and I do think I kind of like this way of setting up the armies because. It's a way to quickly buy into the latest two armies coming out. As opposed to in the past, we only got box sets if it was a new edition or mm-hmm. if it was part of a um, campaign book. So. I mean, there were a,
1: there were a couple – like, there was the Mechanicus and Necron set that came out in 8th edition where we got Armager Knights for the first time, but that was still kind of uh, – It was more that that the big thing was, look, there are armature knights now. And that's what drove the sales of that box more than anything. Yeah. But yeah, I I do like this idea of giving kind of a premiere of an army of like a couple of armies. And also me knowing that you're going to get two armies. They're going to get upgrades and updates at the same time. Yeah. Let's see. So next up, uh, we get Plastic
2: Rangers finally. I'm kind of happy about this, kind of sad, because I already have 10 rangers, and unless I'm going to field a lot, I mean, I'm going to pick up this box or whatnot, so I'll probably have 15. I guess 20 is fine. You have two squads of 10 sniping somewhere.
1: I, I've I've seen somebody complain that... Okay, so, like, the, they've got the five of them on this picture arranged in kind of, like, reverse star formation, and the one in the lower left... the Like, somebody was complaining... Oh look, they're just reusing the same sculpts from uh from Blackstone Fortress for that Eldari sniper. And it's like, well, how many ways can you hold a rifle in a meaningful fashion?
0: Also I think they who have cares? them covered
1: here. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. But also, who cares? It's
2: a cool pose. No, they don't have it's crouching here.
1: <laughs> no, I mean
2: like well, specifically
1: sure. the, the one sniper from
2: uh right. from the, the Blackstone yeah. Fortress
1: box. There. Yeah. Also, the other arm is in a different position. It's, in, you know, so it's just like, it's not even an exact copy, yeah. but, you know, you know, whatever.
2: If you're looking at that uh, the upper left one in that, he's holding something that I don't recognize.
1: Yeah, I don't know what that oh, yeah. is. They stole some drones from the Tau, apparently. <laughs> That's kind of what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. But, obviously, uh. it's it's meant to be something. It looks like it's supposed to like spike into the ground, like yeah, maybe it's some it's a sort mine, of homer.
2: Like they can set up traps, maybe. Could be that the scout unit.
1: And speaking of them scouting around, we now have the Shroud Runners, which is basically a jet bike with uh, a two-man crew of rangers with uh,
2: sniper rifles. <laughs> I really <laughs> like this, but at the same time, I'm like, they, they, they might have too many fast attack options soon. I mean, and <laughs> know, part of me hopes that in the new codex they break apart the jet bikes because with the only having three of one type, that means even though you've got three weapon options for those standard jet bikes, you still only can take two units of them. I mean, having scout jet bikes now adds another option. Um, well, you so can take my... three. You can take three units of them. Okay, three units of the three different options. Yeah, but it's I don't know. I would like I, I like seeing more options for the jet bikes. Mm-hmm. Scouts would be an interesting option. So, and it looks like all of these have scatter lasers under them. So we'll see if that's the like the standard they or if they actually have options for their underslung weapon as well. Right.
1: Well, and we've seen mobile snipers before because, like, there's the, the Mechanicus unit with, like, the, the cavalry snipers. So, mm-hmm. now it makes well, sense. Well,
0: and then sniper drones as well in Tau. So, it's not like right. there's unheard of.
1: But, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and the yeah, other so thing, looking at this jet bike, it's kind of a cross between the standard Eldar jet bike and also the Harlequin jet bike where you had the second person in the back with the weapon. Mm-hmm. And at the same time it makes me wonder if they'll bring back the jet bike character that was in I think second ed cuz that would be kind of cool. <laughs>
1: They've done weirder Gosh. things so very it's always possible.
2: Does
0: this mean we might get a Doom Rider again? Sorry, completely unrelated, but <laughs> just made
1: me think I'm okay. like oh I said, said anything's possible. That is not possible. We're not getting Doom Rider Damn. back.
2: <laughs> okay, well how about this? But he, Some squad does cocaine. Jet bikes. <laughs>
0: Uh, you mean on uh, on their trikes or whatever?
2: That, but one that can fly, right? <laughs> right. Uh, I'm trying to push yeah, out I'm the sorry. timer some more, Kevin.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, no, we we're smashing the
1: reset on that timer. <laughs> reset the clock. And now we move into the, uh, the chaos stuff. Uh, we are finally getting a plastic warpsmith, which is oh, about God. damn time. <laughs> Yeah. So, I'm <clears throat> I'm definitely cuz like the Warpsmith is one model that I I have not been in a hurry to get because it's in fine cast and those tentacles will just would just snap right off or melt. So or both. Also, I like the fact that he has the option of a an axe or a thun- looks like a thunderhammer. Yeah. That is pretty cool. So i i'm digging this one i definitely want to get this model um i don't know if i'll I'll probably wait till he's available separately and then because the next thing he he comes with five chaos chosen and i we already have a chaos space marine box like this this doesn't really like it reminds me a little bit of the cast chosen that were included way back in, like,
3: mm-hmm.
1: or see no that was okay that dark was the vengeance. one that was dark and dark vengeance yeah that yeah it's, the, it had to like go back way back it just it reminds yeah, the, me of those they have probably been upscaled a little bit so that they kind of fit the newer aesthetic but
0: well my hope with this is and they kind of hint about it like you know outfitted with a range of weaponry, including combi weapons, blades, power fist claws, pistols, etc. My hope is this is this becomes something similar to like what uh Stern Guard veterans are for the for the Space Marines or um like when you buy like a box of the the custode wardens that give like different weapon options. That this is, yeah, these are basically your standard Chaos Space Marines, but when you buy this kit, like you get you know, five combi weapons, you get five power swords, you get, you know, all of these, you know, five sets of lightning claws, for example. So it might, it would be a kit where it's like, yeah, you buy one of them, you, you build those, and then you have just a ton of bits for other things because having left and, you know, left and right lightning claws would be cool. Having more, uh, chain axes, you know, for other, you know, for other models would be cool. Having, combi weapons for sergeants and things like that. So I, I definitely think that there is a benefit to this to this box. And I'm really glad that we finally have chosen in, you know, multi part plastic as opposed to just the cool looking Dark Vengeance ones that are all monopose and like you can't really do anything else with.
1: See, I part of me fears that these are, these will also be monopose, but maybe they're gonna be monopose. maybe they're gonna be more like like the Deathcore Krieg models from yep from the kill team box where it's like you look at them and they don't they're not like if you look at them put together they look monopose but when you look at the instructions it's like oh no this body combined with this particular set of arms makes it look very different yeah. and so maybe or, uh, that's or the, the death guard.
3: Here?
1: yeah the death guard models as well like the death guard
0: plague marines are uh-huh. are all multi-part kits as well and they don't look it I here's the thing GW has not released monopose plastic kits in a box set like this in years. So I cannot imagine that they're going to like, after, after uh, the only chosen options we've had for the last five years, being the mono part, mono post plastic ones from dark vengeance. I can't imagine that they're going to just release mono post plastic chosen. I, cause that, that goes against everything they've done in all of these other boxes. So I, I, I refuse to believe that that's what they're going to do here until they
1: say otherwise.
0: <laughs> Maybe that's naive on my part, but I just—they well, haven't done it with any of the other releases. So,
1: as a Chaos Space Marine player, you must remain optimistic at all times.
0: Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm also optimistic that chosen aren't kind of just blow goats this edition. So, <laughs> yeah. okay, now you're just being unrealistic. I, I know <laughs> chosen chosen have sucked the entire time I've played chaos, so don't expect that to change.
4: <laughs> like i I almost feel like the the style of kit that GW does now are are like a hybrid between being the multi part kits and being monopose. Mm -hmm. if you if you get what i'm getting at because like like putting together the orc commandos like you put together like one model and it may have like two options of how you put it Mm -hmm. together but like that model goes together a very specific way and it's not like i'm gonna put together this body and then throw arms on it, and that determines, like, what, you know, weapon configurations it has. Yeah. Like, they don't, they don't really make kits like that anymore. It, it's almost like, no, like I... it's like a dual pose kits. Yeah. Is, is what they're releasing now.
0: Yeah. No, and that's what, like, what, like I said, the Death Guard Plague Marines are that way. Um, the, Deathcore of Krieg models, the Orc Commandos. So I, I imagine that this will be one of those kits where, like, so for example, the guy with the tool, the two lightning claws, you can probably build him as either the two lightning claws or with the set of arms holding a bolt gun. And that's probably it. Right. Um, And that's, and that's fine. Like, again, more right, variety yeah. in those poses is still better than, you know, the, the single mono pose plastic kits we had before. So I'm still excited for this. I think there's still a lot of, I think there's a lot of potential for this.
1: Yeah, I I th- and I think you're right. I think we are going to basically maybe we will get those like duo or triple pose. Like like you said Richard, you know, it's like yeah, you can make this in one of two ways. It, it's it's a far cry from like the days of the old uh like the Space Marine Captain kit where it's like here's this torso and legs and then you can do the- whatever you mm-hmm. want with these arms and they're cross compatible with every other Space Marine kit. Like those days I, and I think partially as as they've tried to get more creative with the the posing, so everything's a little bit more dynamic. Um, the downside of being more dynamic is there's only so many ways you can move things before pieces don't go together anymore.
4: And that's right. And, yeah it, yeah, it adds it adds an extra challenge to uh, converting miniatures. Yes, very much so. <laughs> But, well, and like uh, if you
0: look even at the the autarch that we talked about at the beginning of this, like you know, the it, that's clearly a a you know, character like one one main pose model, but just switching out the arms or switching out the torsos like they mentioned can give that model a vastly different look. So I think that's kind of you know, I, I think it's definitely where they're going with these chosen is that they're going to they're going to have some flexibility, uh but it won't be as completely blank slate as it used to be.
1: Which I, I'm fine. With, I'm honestly fine with that as a, as a compromise. The only concern gets when you, you can still end up with, depending on how many of these, these models you use, like, especially I think about like the new Chaos Space Marines and like the new Orc Boys and such, where like you don't see it so much on the, the Space Marine Intercessors because they are still very much kind of like torso legs and then, Here's a whole bunch of pairs of arms that you can use in different poses and things like that. Yeah. Kind of, but like the newer like the newer Orc Boys, the newest chaos, newer Chaos Space Marines. My concern is like if somebody's fielding an army of those, you're gonna kind of see the same model pop up several times. Like it's gonna be harder to give individual models that same uh bit of individuality. Uh head swaps help a lot but mm-hmm. again with some of these there's only so much like i look at these chosen i'm like there's only like they may have a couple of options per like of heads per model but you're i doubt you'll be able to like freely swap the heads around between them
4: yeah the well like putting together like i've been putting together like beast snagger boys and they are very much the you, you put these models together one way or the other way. And it it, like, I've found a couple of instances where outside of the instructions, you can kind of swap some of the arms around and maybe some of the heads around a little bit, but like, I'm going to have to like gap fill with a little bit of green stuff here and there to like, make the transitions like fit together a little more smoothly, but like, I've been able to put my second set of Beast Naga boys together so that they have mostly like kind of different looking, like some of them are the same because I only kind of started doing this about halfway through them. <laughs> but uh it, like it, and and once I get to the other 20, like it's going to get, Harder because, well, that's yet another variation set of variations that I'm going to have to try and figure out to make them a little more unique. Um, I'll probably have to break out the bits box and try and use some old bits. Yeah, for them. So,
1: all right, business conspiracy time. This switch to like duo or triple pose models like this is a way to f- screw over bits vendors, like independent bits manufacturers. Mm. I, 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 this is why I'm saying business conspiracy time, but it's like, yeah. if one of your issues, like, I, I'm thinking back to the old chapter house thing, where it's like, okay, so this company is making bits that are compatible with our kits that use our IP, but in a way that we don't approve of because people are buying their bits and not buying more of our kits to to try to make more You know, They're trying to stretch out their hobby dollar what if one of the ways to answer that is fine? We'll just make more dynamic poses that don't work with like. There's no generic bits that you can mix in with these because this body will only ever work with this head. And uh, the I, the
4: the bits vendors will catch up. I they'll mean, they'll I, start but, like, making. They'll start just making more yeah. varieties of bits that well, will conform to like the different poses. Well,
2: and yeah. also hobbyists can. Like sand things down, green stuff exactly. connecting. So,
4: right, like, it, like it, it it is it is a a a conspiracy theory that is not that far of a a a leap. Mm-hmm. It, it, if you're if you're still you know looking for bad guy GW, but <laughs> yeah, I like do I'm
1: I'm not saying that's necessarily the case, but I'm also saying it's or, not not necessarily the case, right.
0: <laughs> well, I've built enough plague marines for my my death guard army using you know the 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 dual pose plague marine kit, and i I personally have not felt like oh my gosh, there's a whole you know i and now everybody you know I have either this pose or this pose. I feel like that every model in that army still looks unique and looks different, and even if like yeah, this arm won't fit on here, uh I can clip off the hand and that I can put a different weapon on, or I can put a different pistol. So, like, I think there's still a lot of variety that you can do. And, I, I, like I said, I think Death Guard's the perfect example. If you look at a Death Guard army, I don't look at those and say, oh my god, all of the Plague Marines look the same, or they look like they're one of two poses. In most cases, they look completely unique. So, I'm not too worried about about them all looking samey especially with it being chaos and there's like all sorts of like bits and bobbles and stuff that you can add to the models. Um, I would be a little bit more concerned on like the space Marine side, just because there's less like ornamentation to them. Um, but I think that's kind of why they've not gone into these dual pose models that same way. I think they've gone with the more, you know, old school, multi-part, true multi-part plastic kit with those. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm not expecting it to be a problem. I I, I like the way things look.
1: Okay, yeah, it's it, like I said, it's just one of those things. I'm kind of like looking at it. I'm like, you know, thinking like I I just want to make sure that like people are able to, you know, still have these kind of unique, you know, like not samey armies. But then, mm-hmm. like you said, it, if somebody's dedicated to making their army unique, they'll do it you know they'll just find other ways to do it so. exactly,
4: yeah, I mean it's it's a far cry from you know I'd put thirty boys on the table, and you know <laughs> three of them look different <laughs> right true
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is that is true that's true it's like and again, as long as they have like a couple of variations per you can generally get enough that it's like over time like if unit a and unit b are look look a little similar, that's fine, like after a point, there's only so many so many configurations you can do, yeah, and then yeah, the final kit in the in the box is a forge fiend, and they do and it does include everything, so you can make it the Mauler fiend as well, like the forge fiend, which isn't new but is awesome
3: That's and a very honestly cool kit. If the
1: and if the forge fiend has the same rules as the uh the one in the Thousand Suns Codex, they'll be pretty solid. Very, they'll be very good choices. And then, uh, Kevin, I know you had mentioned that piece of terrain that they have. It's just two yeah. Nautilus crowns slammed together. Yeah, I wasn't like. sure. It just if just it was... Sigmar bits in the middle.
0: Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was just a cool like conversion they did, or if that's maybe a new terrain piece that's coming out. I don't know. It, you're you're right. It probably is just a a, a conversion, but. Yeah, it well I i cool. looking
1: at the Noctilith crown <laughs> and it's got the exact same spikes and glyphs and everything on it. So fine so, yeah, shatter my just, dreams, that's fine. <laughs> sorry, hey, that's what I do. If I can If I can't crush that's your true. dreams, what can I do?
2: That's true. That is in 40k. Yeah.
1: I I can do that. Just bring <laughs> out your railguns. <laughs> oh, oh. Well so then do it. Segway. <laughs> hey, <of> that. <laughs> um, so, um, here's the, here's you know the episode. Something- <laughs> yeah. so you- <laughs> We'll spend some time on this. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, something's up when on the war like when they first dropped this article that they just had a big image of a tower hammerhead within the logo fear the rail gun on it. So, um, this broke the 40k internet when it dropped, and for good reason. So, so the hammerhead railgun. Oh, the hammerhead railgun. They released what the stats on this thing are gonna be. So, uh, so 72 inch range. That's the classic railgun. It can always reach out and touch someone. Heavy one. Okay, that's pretty much the same. Strength 14. <laughs> so um wounds everything but knights on a two up wounds knights on a three up ap minus six so no armor saves at all no matter i mean effectively it's like whatever you roll it won't be good enough
2: right Um, if you've got the the shield if you got technically the one up you can still have a six if you have like all the best armors and (laughs)
0: And if you're in cover, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, like you can maybe stack modifiers to maybe get to a five or a six up, but you're basically no armor save.
4: Right.
1: Uh, Damage of D3 plus six. So seven seven to nine damage. Uh, Each time an attack is made with this weapon, invulnerable saving throws cannot be made against it. I hope you didn't like
4: having demon characters that that's that's the one thing like i'm pretty much fine like the damage is bad the 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 range is bad like like bad as in bad to go up against right because they're awesome <laughs> um like the the no invulnerable save thing is is the one thing that i'm just kind of like uh did it really have to yeah like yeah it, it that's that's the one thing that I'm like, because eh. it's and not like the it's... old. It's not like the old days of like, oh, you have one big shot, and then like somebody rolls one die and makes one invulnerable save, and then all that damage goes away. Because like right. damage doesn't right. work that way anymore. Does it though? Does it? Because <laughs> apparently the railgun says, yeah, it does. <laughs> well. Uh, no, but, like, yeah, like, all that damage happens with one roll from you, yes. Yeah. But, like, if you get hit with it and I had invulnerable saves, I'd still have to make a bunch of invulnerable saves yeah. to not take damage. And there's mortal wounds. Yeah. Each time like, a successful wound roll is made for an attack with this weapon, it suffers three
1: mortal wounds in addition to any other damage.
4: Like this. This might as well have just all been mortal wounds. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Except yeah, there's enough armies that, had, that can
1: shrug off mortal wound, like individual true. mortal wounds on like a five up. That this w- like they'll only be able to shrug off like three of it, maybe. True. Um. So yeah, this thing is dealing if it hits. Unless you have some way to mitigate individual wounds, you are taking 10 to 12
4: points of damage in one go. It's like I have uh, like one model that's like, ha ha, shoot me again. And that's Gazgol.
1: Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Gazgol will take four.
4: <laughs> yes, Gazgol yeah. will take four and then go shoot me again.
2: Yeah, Morvin Vall could probably take one hit from that. Two would kill she's her, k- but one hit.
1: As it she's going to take. Well, also here's the thing. Okay, so if you have, so you have the damage, yes. which is going to be what three to f- like. Do you round up? Do you round up or down? Oh yeah, you round, round up because
2: two, two, ones become one and threes become two.
1: Yeah, so it's going to be four, four to six damage, right? And then three mortal wounds, because
2: she won't Which have she has the saves, mortal wounds. She, she has saves against mortal wounds. Right, so she'll be able to... She'll half the damage she, and save the mortal wounds, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so, yeah,
1: she'll take... She, she Yeah, she can probably take one of these to the face. Two will kill her. S- straight up. Um, a, a lot of people are like, well, the days of of uh, Space Marines using Redemptor Dreadnoughts are done, because this will one-shot yeah. those
2: that might be part of the reason why they're designed like this
1: <laughs> um and now i will say this is this is a railgun that is fluff accurate <laughs> yeah cuz that yeah, is because the railgun was supposed to be that terrible a weapon i remember I, I want to say it was in the 4th edition tau codex there was a story like told from the, like the viewpoint of somebody like examining a uh like, a, I think it was either, I think it was a Chimera that's hit by a railgun. And the entrance hole is a tiny little hole, and the exit hole is a tiny little hole followed by a big pink spray as everybody inside was immediately liquefied <laughs> by the plasma of this thing going by and sprayed <laughs> out the back at high pressure. It's just like, railguns are absolutely, like, they are supposed to be the some of the deadliest anti-armor. And yeah, so it's like I, I get that this is really scary, but it's supposed like, to
4: be like I feel like maybe no invulnerable saves with models with the vehicle keyword would have been yeah. a better way to yeah. represent that monster or vehicle
1: because
4: because
1: yeah. like I like, hey, Tyrannids are just now starting to get invulnerable saves. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's yeah. that kind oh, of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to be rough. And then let's throw on top of that, with such a powerful single slug, connecting with each shot is crucial. So the hammerhead is an advanced targeting array that pairs well with the new marker lights rules, which we haven't seen in the new marker light rules yet. But the targeting array says each time this unit's hammerhead model is selected to shoot, you can reroll one hit roll when resolving its attacks, which means you're going to be rerolling that railgun hit. Yeah. I mean, yep. I guess you could re-roll the missile pods, but why? <laughs> <laughs> well, why? Well, I don't – like, miss, smart missiles are good, but I, I think
2: people sure.
4: might start no, taking
1: I... burst cannons, and we'll talk about that in a bit, too. Right. Uh, and they, the, I also find it interesting that they have the, – traditionally, uh, there was a second mode of fire for submunitions, which is what you use to take care of hordes, and now uh, they've changed that to a stratagem use the stratagem in your shooting phase when a hammerhead model from your army is selected to shoot if that model is equipped with a rail gun instead of making attacks with that weapon in this phase select one enemy unit that is not within engagement range of any units from your army and is within 36 inches of invisible to the model roll one d6 for each model in that unit adding one to the each roll if the unit has 11 or more models for each four up or so three up if you're fight, you know shooting at a horde uh that unit suffers one mortal wound to a maximum of eight.
4: So... I like the I like the cap on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah, this change. I, I, I think I, this. Have to have the
0: cap. Yeah. I like the way this works. I think rather than it being a points upgrade that you pay for and then you might not face an army that has hordes, like the flexibility with this of it being a stratagem, you take the railgun, and then if you're facing Orcs or something, and you need to try to shoot up a horde, um, you can spend the CP at the opportune time to like change the way it works. So I think that's a better, I think that's a better in game way of like using it, using the resources. I do like the cap on it. I like, kind of like the fact that it's mortal wounds. Like, that's uh, good. I, I, I like that change. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. It can still wipe a normal unit off the board. Absolutely. Like, say, like, I have a squad of five and there's no big armor things to shoot at, spend it, and as long as you're rolling four up. I mean, I got an air quote 50% chance to save, but I'm not doing the saves. I guess 50% chance of missing. <laughs> so, I mean, it's good both ways.
0: It's, it's definitely that, powerful. Like That's, oh, that's it, the thing. It is definitely powerful.
1: Now, the one piece we don't have of this puzzle is what is the ninth edition Hammerhead going to look like? As
2: far as like right. stat lines, points cost. I was gonna say the because model pie looks the same. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, yes, yes, it does. But but no, that. Smack. But I think the question the question of like how much is the railgun going to cost as an upgrade? Because I mean, at that kind of stat line, it needs like it should be a pricey weapon. Um, yeah, you won't you want to discourage people from making it easy to spam these. Now, granted, you're going to be able to take. A maximum of four in a two thousand point army because you will have three regular heavy support hammerheads and then one long strike in the HQ slot. Right.
2: Well and, and, and as you're we talked about protect them. Yeah. Because they're the well, well,
0: about target. Before, <laughs> hammerheads are not super strong, versatile, like, you know, platforms. Like they're just tanks. They're just tau tanks. So you know, they're not going to be super hard to destroy themselves, and they're definitely going to be targets. Um, yeah And the other part of it too, that you know, and they talk a little bit about it with the rerolls and the marker lights, unless they s- fundamentally change something about the Tau, you're looking at a ballistic skill four army. So like, yeah, ballistic skill four, one shot, you get a reroll. I know my luck with rolling hammerheads i'm going to miss about seventy percent of the time, <laughs> so even with the rerolls and marker lights so like i I do think there are things that we have not yet seen that will help mitigate this um and it'll, it it makes the rail gun a very powerful weapon, but i don't think it's i don't think it's the sky is falling like everyone says it is um I could be wrong like they 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 could release this in this you know it could be a this could be a 10 5 point, point upgrade. Right, yeah, this could be a 10 point upgrade to, a, you know, to put on a hammerhead and I'm like, "Well, okay, well no. You messed up." And then also like they change it so that you can take fleets of hammerheads or, you know, squads of hammerheads. I'd be like, "No. Okay, you've made a mistake."
2: <laughs> like it,
0: if but I don't think that's the case. I think there's other things. There's a reason they released this first or technically second with the Tau stuff. I think they wanted people to kind of see it and like have a little bit of a wow factor with it, and then I think they'll they show. Like, the they other...
1: absolutely succeeded at that.
0: Well, but then I think they'll show the other things in the army that are like, hey, this is the other things you have.
2: So, uh, well, broad size, didn't they have rail guns? They so, well, do. So that's the,
1: they're smaller. Yeah. They're rail rifles, so they're okay. they won't be as strong. Yeah. I I imagine what we'll see then is a rail rifle will be like strength ten AP, like a last cannon, like strength ten AP minus three, mm-hmm. uh, D three plus three damage. Uh, we'll Ignore see whether invulnerable it allows vulnerable saves, and then like <laughs> yeah. D three mortal wounds.
0: So the interesting part of this to me is the railgun itself is cool, but you got rail rifles. There are the uh, Pathfinder rail rifles that you can take. Um, there's also other vehicles that have railguns, like the the Storm Surge
1: has a you know has the the, well, the railgun. Well, the hit, pulse no, driver so- has, a, has a pulse driver, so it's different. And we, oh, okay. what we do know is the railgun is not the strongest weapon
2: in the codex, right?
1: They've straight up. Oh, so it's going to
2: be the the bomber has the strongest weapon, right? God, finally!
4: Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you know now. What? If only I it starts with on- ammo.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have one setting
0: on my shelf right next to me, covered in dust, because I don't think I've touched it in eight years. Um <laughs> It's time. Uh, <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe it's going to be useful. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm interested to see how this how this plays out for other rail type guns, um, and to kind of see some of that gradation. Because I think with this being the top end, like you do have some cool areas that you can go with the rail rifles, the rail gun. You know, the the that the pathfinders carry. Like you can actually make those be weapon options that people might want to take because. You know, let's be fair. Nobody takes Pathfinders with with the rail rifles um, because they're not as good. You want marker lights or you would rather take the ion weapons. Maybe this makes it so that, like, it's actually useful to take a couple Pathfinders with rail guns or rail rifles, whatever.
1: Right. Now, I'm I'm excited to see what this means for the other rail weapons, but I'm also interested in seeing, like, I I think one thing this is going to do is... You're gonna put a couple of hammerheads on the table, and you're gonna make your opponent make bad choices. Like, do you go after the hammerheads, knowing that if you don't kill them, they will pick apart anything large in your army? And then once, if I can clear away the rest of your your blockers, then I start going after your characters. Or do you deal with the other things? In which that's going to take us. Excuse me. That's going to take us to the. Other thing for Tao that was announced, um, the battlesuit rules. So <clears throat> anything that is a battlesuit, which as of right now is everything from a stealth suit up to a riptide. Storm surges are vehicles and don't fall under this. Uh, but this may change. We don't know what keywords are going to change um but battle suits battle suits have a new rule battle suit models in this unit can make attacks with ranged weapons even when their unit is within engagement range of enemy units but they can only make such attacks against enemy units they're within engagement range of in such circumstances these those models can target an enemy unit even if other friendly units are within engagement range of the same enemy unit so um you basically get a better version of big guns and never tire that uh, you know vehicles have You can shoot everything at whoever is in melee with you at no penalty, but you can only shoot the units that are in melee with you. So it's kind of like pistols, Mm -hmm. but applies to all your weapons, uh, which means crisis suits can actually be locked in combat and just unload firepower on you, which makes charging them maybe not the best idea.
2: Unless you kill them in one round.
1: You'd ha- yeah, yeah, you'd have to. You'd have to be able to completely wipe them. Uh, they did give us a couple of uh, weapon profiles. So burst cannons have gained two shots. They are now assault six instead of four. Ouch. Which is one reason why you might see more uh, burst cannons on hammerheads mm-hmm. as well. Because being able to put out 12 shots um, as kind of backup, in case- that and a submunitions round could spell real trouble for a, a horde army. Uh, but also consider that a crisis suit could mount uh, three of these. Uh, or flamers, 12-inch flamers, assault D6 plus two at strength four, damage oh, one. That's nice. So, so uh, you know, anywhere from three to eight shots. And again, I've seen people looking at running, like, triple flamer suits as well. So, I mean, even before this change. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you can easily, like, drop in... Like you know, Mantis strike in a trio of crisis suits and just like clear an enemy unit. Yeah, absolutely. With a with twelve inch range, they're now viable. Yeah. Um. We also get a couple of uh, updates to some of their war gear. Multi trackers now give you extra shots against large groups. Theoretically, each time a ranged attack. Made by the bearer targets unit containing six or more models, an unmodified hit roll of six scores an additional hit, maximum of one per model. I'm not sure if that means per model with the multi tracker or per model in the unit, in like the target unit. I, I would
0: assume per multi tracker, but yeah, I don't know. That's that's interesting.
1: And then target lock, basically preventing you from getting light cover against the attack. Which is interesting because that kind of means that, I mean, they they
0: allude to it in the other one that marker lights are changing, but that was one of the big benefits of marker lights under the old system is that, you know, one or two to remove light cover. So if you're just able to remove light cover with a target lock, it makes me wonder how, you know, what what other benefits they're going to give marker lights to kind of differentiate them.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And then they show a couple of strats, which I th- one of them is something that people have been wanting for to return for a while, and that is Strike and Fade. Tau are experts at harrying and outmaneuvering their foes, bleeding them with accurate bursts of fire before fading away into the shadows. Use the stratagem at the start of your shooting phase. Select one Tau Empire jetpack unit from your army. You can shoot with that unit and then make a normal move of up to six inches. That unit cannot shoot again this phase. If the unit contains five or fewer models, excluding drone models, the stratagem costs one CP. Otherwise, it costs two CP. Jump, shoot, jump is back as a stratagem, which is, I think, yeah, a baby. good way to balance it out. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's too powerful if everyone can do it all of the time. But when if you can keep it in your back pocket for the right moment, yeah, this is good
1: and it it's consistent with like the fire and fade that we saw with you know uh Eldar you know el you know them being able to have somebody you know move out shoot and jump back that became a strat it makes sense that uh Tau should have it you know in the same way um mm-hmm. now i also there's a there's an interesting thing there uh if a unit contains five or fewer models excluding drone models now in 8th edition drones ceased to be part of your unit when you deployed them. They popped off and became their own thing. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Which may be a way to kind of finally fix the savior protocols if savior protocols only work if it's the drones that are, uh, that you take in your unit instead of allowing, like, you know, roaming hordes of S.H.I.E.L.D. drones to, to take, you know, hits for, you know, for whomever. Which, yeah. I'm curious to see how that changes up. Like, can you, will you be able to take drone squadrons by themselves?
2: And they can only protect themselves.
1: Now, that is interesting, because cause then, like, those, it, it,
0: how do those drones, because you always could take drone squads by themselves, but maybe they just won't have savior protocols, or, like, or... Yeah. Right. I don't, th- could, that's that's interesting. I I didn't I didn't pick up on that when you when I first read that. So yeah, that's very interesting.
1: Yeah, so I think we're going to see a change in drone rules which let's be honest needs to happen. It's you know, it's one yeah. of the things oh, that makes sure. playing against Tau unfun for a lot of people is like, well, how can I stick you know, it it's just that fortunately this edition of the game has not been kind to Tau as far as like, you know, scoring and being very assault focused and not really giving Tao much in, in exchange. um, So it'll be interesting to see how this, you know, what this does for them. But I think, mm-hmm. I think changing up drone rules is something that was needed also by not, you know, whether we'll see how drones work, but dro- like maybe like I can see like drones, do, you know, become part of the unit, but don't count as like, you know, don't count for the purposes of like morale which I think would be fine because they're meant to be expendable. Um, mm-hmm. I could see drone squadrons going away or, like you said, a drone squadron could, might not have the Savior Protocols rule since we're kind of, you know, since universal rules aren't necessarily a thing. Having a unit of drones, like, yeah, I can take a unit of marker or gun drones, but they don't protect anybody else. They just do their own thing. I'm totally fine with that as well. Yeah. And then the uh, the other strat they dropped was drop threat acquisition which costs three cp or two cp based on how many battlesuit models are in a unit Um, use the stratagem in your movement phase when a battlesuit's unit from your army is set up on the battlefield using Manta strike or the homing beacon action so we're going to have an action that is going to allow you to drop somebody in until the end of the turn each time a battlesuit model in that unit makes a ranged attack you can reroll the hit roll And then, if it caught, if the unit contains four or more battlesuit models, the strat costs three CP, otherwise, it costs two, which basically gives you the, uh, like the Deathwing style. When we drop in, we can, we reroll hits, which also I think is going to be really cool. I really see them trying to buff up battlesuits, especially crisis suits, because crisis suits have been kind of in a weird space, although, you know, Farsight Enclaves has been like the main Tau... Subfaction that people have been using, and crisis suits have been very good in there. So I think maybe they're going to try to pass that on to the rest of the army and allow crisis suits to kind of be that forefront model that they were always positioned as. But I don't know if they ever really fully landed the way, especially as they got you know replaced by other elite choices like uh, like riptides, for example. Yeah.
0: I think there was a brief window in like 5th like the beginning of 6th edition between you know 5th edition beginning of 6th edition before Riptides came out where they were kind of the lead function like they were they could jump shoot jump they had a lot of flexibility in their weaponry where they were kind of the the workhorse of the Tau army but yeah like Riptides Ghost Keels have kind of you know even just changes the Fire Warriors themselves have kind of changed the way that you build tower army since then. So it'd be nice if they go back to that and, uh, put them more front and center.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, one other thing I've noticed is that in both of the like photo, like the army photos where they're like featuring battle suits, a storm surge is featured prominently in both, which will be interesting if the storm surge gets the, gets the battle suit trait. Because that also means yeah. I don't want to be in... No one wants to be in close combat with a Storm Surge, because that thing has a ton of gun. Right. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I, I Yeah. Because I don't...
0: I don't know that I necessarily want them to be considered... Well, I guess it is Battlesuit and Jetpack, so it's different. Because I was right. looking at, like, the Strike and Fade. I'm like, man, if they make them... All all battlesuits jetpacks, all jet suits but you know, then then ugh, that, that gets really ugly. But, but, but yeah, by separating the s- keywords
1: out, yeah, then you can you can actually make multiple classifications. Mm-hmm. Which so means you yeah. can also make non jetpack uh or you can make non battlesuit jetpack characters too. So you've got yeah. even more freedom to do stuff. Kind of future proof yeah. it. And I imagine that like the the
0: ethereal on that hover drone will probably get the jetpack rule or something like that. Yeah, so that's yeah. okay, that's interesting. Um yeah, now that I kind of like talk 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 through it, maybe I don't mind if they move it to battle suits. Um as long as it doesn't get like some of the jetpack and some of the other rules that crisis suits need to get. Mm-hmm.
1: But I think hmm. I think the suits, and I think moving it to a battle suit would be good in with this rule set because this is basically made as the counter to, uh, you know, T- Tau only play in two phases of the game, move and shoot. We don't have a psychic phase and we really don't have much in the way of, the, of an assault phase. You know, we don't fight. So making Tau an army where they're still a threat in the fight, f- or, you know, they're still a threat if they're engaged. hmm Changes the calculus on, like, li- like you know, men- you mentioned earlier, Dennis, like, you need to clear out a unit of Tau in one go, which you most likely will, but if you don't, you're in a world of hurt because they're going to just shoot you up with- at no penalty, and you're right there. So no cover, no anything, They're they've got you.
0: Yeah. Well, for the longest time, like the way to the way to stop a tau army was to just run up and engage him. You know, throw a unit of gaunts or boys or cultists um, at jet. You know, at crisis suits, at broadsides, at your riptide. And like, yeah, that riptide will never like die to those cultists. But if he's not shooting every turn. You're you're getting you know you're, you're getting all these benefits and like no I'm tying them up I'm taking a big piece of your army off the board effectively for fifty points. Um, now that they have the ability to to do something in melee and still shoot, even if they're only having to like clear out that cultist unit before they can go back to full functionality, at least they're doing something. Uh, and you don't you know you do, you don't <laughs> have the kind of the feel bad of like well I put all these out there and then they got in melee and now they're just sitting there because all of those battlesuit units are very hardy they're just they just don't have any offensive punch so like they're not going to they're not even going to die quickly <laughs> to like let you then shoot at the thing that was assaulting them um right so this at least gives you like a, a little bit extra control there and i i think this is something that's i think it's something that they've needed for a while and i'm i'm really glad they put that in here
1: yeah i agreed i'm 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 digging what I'm seeing with this. Now there's still pieces we don't know yet. We we like we know that the uh like they did a an article a uh, like a couple months back about like the changes to pulse weapons. So like we know the towel rifle is gonna get a little bit better. I think it gets minus one AP. Uh so like rail gun or you know, like Pulse guns are going to get better. Rail guns are obviously better. But we're still, we are still don't we don't know what the drone rules are yet. We don't know how mm-hmm. greater good is changing. We do know how Montkaya and Kalyan are changing. Those are interesting. I think we talked about that in the previous episode. Um, so I, I'm excited to see. I, I have a feeling Tau is going to play very differently than it does right now. And so I'm excited for that. I want to see how that's going to change. Um. So I th- I think giving we know that that is the third codex coming out this year because we've got Gene Steeler Colts and Custodes coming out first because they were delayed from from last month. Uh, and so actually they just posted on too. the
0: they just Go posted ahead. on the community they have- site. They're releasing. They're releasing. uh Going to pre order this weekend.
1: Ah, excellent. So yep.
0: So, so those news. will be
1: <laughs> those will be available very soon, and then we'll be getting the Tau Codex probably by the end of January, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. I'm I'm excited for the for the Tau Codex as somebody who has basically had to put away their Tau for you know the last edition or so. I'm um, I'm curious mm-hmm. to to blow the dust off them and see see what happens. And then that takes us to the other thing they announced a few days ago about Warhammer 40,000 Seasons. We are now going into a season structure for matched play. Um, This is and this is similar to something that's been done for uh, like Age of Sigmar when the Age of Sigmar uh, General's Handbook dropped with third edition. Uh, basically the competitive missions were tied to, like, this is the realm, like, the, the mortal realm that we are playing in this year, or for this time period, so, uh, all, like, the missions, and, like, there will be sp- missions and special rules that will kind of tie into that. In this case, seasons are going to be tied to, f- like, they say, like, flashpoints, pivotal battles that are happening, you know, pivotal wars happening in the 40k universe, so each season which is going to be 6 months long is going to be tied to something happening in the greater 40k narrative so the first one is uh, uh warzone Nachmund vigilus alone we are returning to vigilus for season for the first uh season of uh well, I guess the first 40k season but the season 1 for uh, 2022 So we get a we get a war zone book. The basically, the fighting on on Vigilus has not ended and is still going on. So we get the continuation of that story. Uh, we get a crusade pack to go along with those, like that narrative war zone book, and then we get a chapter approved for Warzone zone So this is Nachmund season. Once this comes out. And then in six months, we'll have a new season. And I'm wondering it, how that's going to tie into the schedule on like, you know, the balanced data slates, big FAQs, etc. What kind, like, are we going to get those between seasons? It it kind of makes
0: sense because they've already been building a lot of the groundwork for this. Um, the, one of the things they mentioned in the article is like the new Kill Team boxes that come up. They have already kind of announced that each quarter... There's you know gonna be a new kill team box featuring you know a, a specific war zone uh they've been releasing the campaign books or you know the the you know the the different war zone books um they've been you know they've said that they want to get on a six month you know balance system and you know chapter approved and things like that so it's like this kind of makes sense um from a competitive perspective it's like let's just kind of go through get it all updated get it all on a set schedule um and then you know, events can kind of plan around that, um, you know, which it already kind of was because the big, big events were already kind of spread out through the year. So it just kind of makes sense to kind of codify it and like put it all into a a format
1: that makes it easier. So. Right. Now I'm curious, like, is, it's going to be interesting to see because these books are like, they're going to include new missions, new, uh, like you know, updated points costs and like one of the things we know from the balance from the balance data slate they did was that the points costs that we saw for Drukari and Mechanicus were actually previews of what was going to be in chapter approved. Like I mean, they straight up said, we don't normally do this, but we're going to release these points values early because we think it will fix things, which it did not for Dukari. It just changed what was good. Um, and so my concern about this is each season is going to end up being a reflection of the situation at the start of the season before it, rather than a response to the things like the, like the game balance issues that we saw during the season. So like, I feel like with these seasons, there's a risk. It's not necessarily guaranteed, but there's a risk that, the balance is always going to be kind of like six months shifted, like just a little bit off i'm also curious if they're going to release errata for the points values for Drukari when the new chapter approved drops in response to the fact that their fixes did not fix Drukari or they fixed they fixed one thing but then broke something else mm-hmm. well so the the thing I will say like in in
0: response, defense, however you want to want to take it, it's, it's already kind of how it is anyway. Like when they release the points adjustments or they release the FAQs, it's in relation to the things that have happened over the last six months. So they're trying to make those adjustments. And then, you know, six months later, or a year later, when they make the further adjustments, so they're already kind of playing that catch-up game. Like it would be better if they could do, you know, stay on top of it more, but maybe in some ways and not that, I think they would do this, but this at least opens up the possibility for them to be like, okay, we're releasing buffs or changes to an army when they fight Drakari for this next season or something, or we'll build the missions in a way that are not maybe as advantageous for Dracari for this next few months. I don't know it it opened. It gives them a few more uh, dials to be able to, you know, tune in and, and make changes to try to keep things balanced. Not that they've always shown the best aptitude for that, but I, I'm okay with this. I'm at least willing to, like, see what they do with it because I do think that there is some potential to further help balance the game.
1: No, you're you're not wrong. And I think as long as they demonstrate an interest in continuing to move this forward, and if one thing this definitely will do is it... One concern with, uh, like, when when we have chapter approved is that... Unless they're fixing points values throughout the year, which we know that, you know, they've done before, it, you risk the game getting stale. Like, everybody, like it's kind of the idea of, like, by the end of the season, everyone's, you know, by the end of the year, everyone's kind of solved the format. We know what's good. We know, like, we know how to play these missions. We know what the best secondaries are, things like that. If they're changing that up every six months, you, you're right. That does give them an opportunity to tweak missions to uh um you know to kind of you know keep things fresh keep keep the balance kind of on a solid but shifting ground if that makes sense where mm. it's like you you don't you can't get lax in you always have something new to uh to build towards or or to you know you've got to change your strategy somehow um so there there is some potential there, and I'm curious, like it depends on what the uh the time frame on these is also because like if they can manage to get the turnaround and I know it's tricky because th- I believe their books are generally printed in China, their models are made in Nottingham, but their books are printed in China, and I would know supply issues, for example, why we are just now getting uh custodes and gene stealer cults um I I'm wondering if they can do this in such a way, like, maybe three months into the season, that's when they write the new chapter approved and get it out to the printers so that it can arrive Mm -hmm. on time. So that, like, they can have maybe the first half of the season collecting data and then be ready to, you know, drop the new uh, chapter approved that has that is at least based somewhat on data they've actually been able to collect rather than just kind of like, oh, and this will be cool in six months, and then this will be cool, and no, let what what didn't work in season one, well, in season three, we'll definitely have that fixed. If they can kind of address that part way through the season, I think there's there's a real potential for this to to work. But I am glad that we're seeing a focus on creating an interesting competitive scene that is tied directly into the narrative they're telling. I think that's exactly. that is an aspect of this I do really dig and it's kind of a way to unify narrative and matched play players even if they're not playing each other they're kind of all playing in more or less the same ecosystem and they did say Eldritch Omens is going to be part of the the Warzone Nachman thing because it takes place on the Knockman Gauntlet yeah, as you said, the new kill team is going to be part of that as well, which means we'll probably get Chaos Space Marine and uh Eldari kill teams, maybe?
0: Yeah, maybe. Could be a way to good way to release new uh, Aspect Warriors.
1: Yeah. Which hopefully and that brings us to the final thing which they like yesterday they dropped a video previewing some of the models that are you know with teasing hints the kinds of things they have in the uh in their their little uh at you know preview engines um and so they they did a video of the some of the models that are coming out in 2022 and so we we kind of went through at the beginning of the video so first off we see something that looks like A, it looks kind of like a Forge Fiend weapon, but I don't know if that means they're releasing a new thing like the Forge Fiend, or if this is because these are all supposed to be new models. So I can't imagine they're redoing the Forge Fiend kits. And considering they're putting one into Eldritch Omens, so this is going to be something new.
0: Maybe they're trying to clear them out, you know,
1: ahead of the (laughs) new models. Let's see. The next thing we get that is clearly 40K is we see a cloak of some sort with soul stones, kind of a weathered coat. So Eldar of some sort, but we don't know what. We get more uh, chaos stuff, which, Dennis, you said this looked very much like chaos Knight stuff.
2: That's what it looks like to me.
1: I, I agree. I think the <laughs> between the vents and, like, the shoulder pads, it – it very much has a Knight look. I don't know if this is going to be a new Chaos Knight chassis or if this is going to be like, I don't know if they're g- going to be Armager based. It looks like it. it's too big to be an Armager, I think. So, yeah. Some sort of new Knight chassis. Um, then we get some more Age of Sigmar stuff. And then what looks for all the world like Mog and Raw's. Yeah. Scythe, scythe weapon. Yeah. And could that... Okay, this cloak is also the rest of that same cloak we saw earlier, so I'm pretty sure yeah. we're getting a plastic Mog and Raw. Yeah. yeah. And I think that might be also where the bones we saw earlier are from. I think um, that might actually... Uh, I could see that, yeah. Because cause he's got a heavy-duty skull theme going on. Yep. He is he is more 40K than 40K. <laughs> <laughs> Skull, bone, skull, reaper thing. Yep. And (laughs) then we get what looks like a new witch model or succubus or something like that. And we are trying to figure out if this is a fantasy, you know, if this is like Age of Sigmar dark elf stuff or if this is actually 40k. Maybe it's a kill team. It could be Mm -hmm. a kill team thing. It's definitely new, whatever it is. And then we get some shots that are unquestioningly tyrannid. We yeah. Can, like, yeah, about 23, about 22, 23 seconds in, we I'm seeing bone weapons, wings. The, these are very what? much tyrannid,
4: Which Yeah, like kind of the, somebody had, had theorized that the kind of the, the tail slash wing looking stuff might be a return of the parasite of Mortex.
1: Ooh. Ooh, that'd be interesting. Some deep cuts from the library. Yeah, maybe Doom Rider's a thing. Who knows, <laughs> Kevin? I, Hell I yeah, won't, I won't <laughs> deny that from you entirely. <laughs> and uh Yeah, so which also tells me then that might NIDS might very well be an upcoming
4: codex this year. Yeah, one would kinda hope.
1: <laughs> and then yeah. we get and then we get dude in coat with staff with power cord of some sort.
2: We are leaning towards Gene Steeler cult on that one, I think.
0: Yeah. Kinda looks Gene mm-hmm. Steeler Culty, the way they yeah. the way they paint like the cloaks and stuff and the hazard stripes, but it could be a
1: number of things. Yeah. And then we get into some stuff that is definitely fantasy because it's all very night gaunty. So, and then the final set of previews the spear, the fire, the bloody handed gauntlet. We're getting a new avatar model. The avatar of Kane is getting a, a plastic, finally. <sighs>
2: yeah,
1: I mean, <sighs> and at the proper scale,
2: I'm sure. <laughs> I should have taken the hints because they've been sold out on Forgeworld of the avatar model for a while now. And that probably should have been the hint to me that they were coming out because I always forget that there is a normal GW one because <laughs> it's bad and old. Well, the other route. it's old and, and also bad. tiny. <laughs> yeah, Old and
1: bad and tiny.
2: <laughs> and tiny. So, yeah, no, th- this is ex- I don't know if I'll pick. I'll have to look at it because I still have my Forge World one. The Forge World one still looks cool, Um, but it'll be nice for people getting into the game of having a brand new yes. avatar that they can use.
1: I, I'm hoping this means we'll also be getting like the Eldar line just gets generally the plastic revamp for all the stuff that hasn't been made well, plastic. We've been
2: asking for it for what five years or so. Oh, longer than that. <laughs> I was being conservative. <laughs> At least five years. We'll give them that.
1: But yeah, so uh, this year looks to be looks to be exciting for a number of armies for multiple reasons. So, um. I, I'm I'm curious to see what's going to be coming down the pipe and how much of this is just going to be in this season. Because, like, I could see the Tyranid stuff being saved for season two of this year, unless mm-hmm. they also show up on Vigilus because they're hungry. So, I mean, well, there there were Gene Stealer cults on Vigilus. That was like a big part of the storyline. So there's no reason yeah. why the Nids couldn't show up. Yeah.
2: Let's see, the other thought I had is it would be kind of cool if we had, like, a Tyranid Eldari box, even though that would be a second Eldari box, because put the Avatar there- – well, maybe not a box, but I want to see the Avatar fight the Tyranids. I just think that would be mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> kind of reminding me of the last stand when the Tyranids took down one craft world. That would be cool.
1: Uh, so by the way, I'm I'm I just switched over to Facebook real quick, and on the Tau Empire group, somebody posted a picture of a uh, Lehman Russ with the caption "Shot goes in, pinhole explosive decompression sucks entire crew into blender red mist." So yes, it's still a thing for real. Guys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well, in, in the Dallas group I'm in, they they someone had one of their warlord, um, titans fall off a shelf. He said, Oh, it looks like a railgun got to it. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? We, we gave there the consequences of having to repair it
1: though. Was it Kevin? Did you share the one where it's like, yeah, yeah. it's like, here you have a, a god of destruction, a war machine of raw unfettered power and across from it, an imperial reaver battle titan. <laughs>
0: Which even, even as we talk about this, like fluff wise, the reason why the tiger shark like the reason why they're able to go out and hunt titans is because they strap gigantic manta rail guns onto it because they're like we got to figure out a way to fight these things. Rail gun's all we got. So let's strap rail guns to everything. Like even in fluff they are devastating weapons of destruction. So I hope they're balanced on the table.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm waiting to see if my town our railgun gets an upgrade. Uh, yeah, it becomes a what? battle suit now, right? <sighs> so God. it used to be. There is, it used to be, and then they took that away from me. I want it back. So there is, there is a part of me like the
0: ninety-five uh, percent of me is like, I hope that they balance this codex and that it's fun to play and it's good for everybody and like it's good for the health of the game. There's also 5% of me that goes, you know, I haven't played my freaking Tower Army in like five years because it sucks, and I'd really love to smash some face with it. <laughs> <laughs> just part
1: of you is just like, I just want to destroy all the things. <laughs>
0: right, right. I just want to be able to destroy things from across the board with, and make you run at me the whole time. Um. <laughs> some people just want to watch uh, the world burn.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I I do. I do kinda want. To. <laughs> Anywho. No, I think it'll be fun. I'm excited for the changes.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm excited for twenty twenty two. Maybe we can finally get on the other side of this pandemic, finally, cross fingers, and start getting back to, to you know, business as usual. I, I'm I'm trying to be hopeful. Yeah. With tempered expectations, but but I, I will say GW looks to be putting out some cool stuff. I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. And uh, if they can keep on top of the balance and, and keep adjusting it based on the information they're getting from events and what they're seeing and showing that they are paying attention, then I think the game has the potential to be in a very good, healthy space with a lot of neat models and hopefully viable armies. That, that's, kind of, that's the goal, and uh, I'm hoping they can reach it alright I think that takes us to hobby progress and then the morale phase uh hobby progress I haven't done anything 40k I have but to get back into painting I started uh I broke out contrast paints and I started painting up some of my uh my battletech minis since, since con because of like all the armor plating details they have um, they take contrast really well and they paint up really fast so like I other than doing the basing, I cranked out and not, well, not counting the priming because it's, it took me several days to get and and attempts to get the, the blend of pressure primer, thinner and flow improver just right where I wasn't getting too much dry tip and I wasn't getting, uh, and I was getting good coverage and I could do it in just a couple of passes. But I, uh, but not counting that and not counting basing that's the last thing I have to do. I cranked out, you know, 7 of them in a couple of hours. So including like markings and everything. So I'm I'm pretty happy with that. So I'm I think I'm ready to get back and actually painting 40k stuff now. So that's that's where I am.
0: I haven't done anything. It's been uh I mean, I'm I'm back in Kansas City for the holidays, so I don't have when any. I say money all your stuff, stuff is not.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah your stuff is here.
0: <laughs> so I have been, I have been boxing up things that are here and like getting, you know, getting ready to take some things back with me. I did find an in the um a Necron uh, Megaforce box that was full of like unused like Necron sprues. So I have like several sprues of Guard, more vehicles, more warriors, etc. That. I didn't realize I didn't
2: I hadn't built yet. (laughs) Now you just have to spray the paint them glow yellow. Yeah, I'm
0: still still trying to figure out what I want to do as paint scheme wise for those. But so I've I've realized that I have a lot more Necrons to build and
2: paint as well on top of everything else. (laughs) Okay, well I will echo Kevin's. I did nothing because it was the holidays and did some traveling to see family and am back. And then we had New Year's and. I think I'm probably just going to take it easy th- until the, uh, Custodes Codex lands, and then I'll probably be really focused on getting some Custodes and Sisters put together so I can make a Talons army.
4: I put together uh, a- another, you know, 10 Beast Snag Boys, um, like I mentioned earlier, and, you know, managed to get a little extra variety in their appearance. I think, um, by swapping some parts that weren't necessarily meant to be swapped. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, started putting together, I got the, the knob on smash a squig, uh, a second one of those put together and then just have to put together another set of squig hog boys. That'll probably be what I work on next. So
1: you'll have most of that beast Naga army together. Then won't you?
4: Uh, I still got the, the kill rig to put together. And like I said, another 20 beast naga boys. Okay. Uh, so, but then once I've got the, that put together, then it's pretty much all put together.
1: And then that takes us to the morale phase. And I just want to say that, uh, Hawkeye was awesome hawkeye was a lot of fun <laughs> yep yeah yeah i had a blast with it um it one definitely took some twists that i was not expecting um like i wasn't surprised at like black widow sister showing up because they pretty much teased that at the end of black widow but mm. um there were a couple i don't I mean I mean I'm sure people are aware of it at this point but there were there was a, a a couple of twists in the last episode or two that uh I think were were surprising to see and really cool and uh we'll see what com- what if anything comes of that we know one of the characters is getting her own spin off uh, Maya the the deaf gangster was mm-hmm. is getting her own series called Echo and I think this was a good setup for that. Um also my partner said while Jeremy Renner is definitely not her favorite actor uh he did a very good job of just looking w- w- tired and world-worn. <laughs> just like I'm just I just I'm too old for this shit. I want to retire. Jeremy Renner's a really good actor. Like I he you have you seen he him
0: in a number of roles, like he was really good, like all the way back, even in the Hurt Locker, which I think I just realized now also had Sam Wilson in it. <laughs> so, um, cause I, Anthony Mackey's in it as well. Um, and he's really good at playing kind of that, that as you mentioned, that kind of world weary character. Like he's really good at like <laughs> looking, looking put out or tired, um, without having to do like a lot of like overacting to do it. So, um, he gets a lot of mileage out of that in Hawkeye, uh, which is great. Um, and Haley S- uh, Seinfeld is freaking amazing in everything that she's been in. Um, she's really good in the role as Kate Bishop. Like, I, I like that she's not immediately good at stuff because that happens yes. like a lot in in the movies, at least, where it's like. Okay, we're going to introduce this character that's, you know, going to take the mantle or whatever, and then, like, they're just immediately good at everything. No, she spends the first five episodes, like, just constantly messing up. Like, she shows that she has talent, but hasn't figured everything out yet. And, like, she that's have experience. really cool. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's really cool. That's a really cool I'll- way to develop her character.
1: Also, the banter they had between her and Florence Pugh as Yelena Il- was just <laughs> yeah. so good. Yep. Yeah. And, and as, yeah, as exactly. the, the, the running slap fight they had in the building there in the sixth episode <laughs> is just great. But no, they played off of each other really well. You could tell that they not only were the lines well written, but they had good chemistry. Like they, they played yeah. off of each other well. Um, And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really neat to see. And also like you, you mentioned the character not being immediately good. It's again, it's one of these cases where this series by being a six, six part, like hour long episode each series gives the characters time to breathe, gives you time to develop. Whereas if they had a Hawkeye movie, it would have been so compressed down that it would have felt rushed. It wouldn't have clicked the way it needed to. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, I never felt like, oh, this is filler. Like everything tied back in and came back together nicely. So like everything mattered. Yeah. Even the the New York
4: LARPer cops. (laughs) Right. right, Which were. Yeah. This format Works really good for them being able to tell the amount of story they want without it getting either too rushed or too drawn out.
1: Mm-hmm. It's almost like these are based off of some sort of episodic storytelling fat format. <laughs> yeah, uh, that benefits from having <laughs> having time to stretch out and let characters breathe and develop. <laughs> well, and they're they're doing they're they're correcting the mistake that I think.
0: Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Netflix shows did in that most of these shows, like WandaVision was the exception, but it was basically the same t- amount of time. It was just eight or nine episodes instead of six. By compressing mm-hmm. all of these down to roughly five and a half hours worth of storytelling, you've, you've it so that you have more space to tell the story and like unpack and let things breathe, but you're not just pointlessly filling time like you are with like a, you know, thirteen episode Daredevil season, where the middle four episodes are filler and don't really have anything to do with the main plot. Like they're still fun; those shows were still good. But like this is this uh, the Marvel Studios like TV projects seem to be a much better like middle ground between the movies that have two hours to tell their story or the kind of pondering network Netflix shows that have you know thirteen hours to fill. Like, they've kind of found that middle ground, and I think they can, you know, they'll have flexibility to adjust if they have a longer story to tell in the future, where they can throw in more episodes, so they can shorten it. Like, it just gives them a lot more flexibility, and I think what we've seen is there's a lot more coordination between those shows now and the larger universe uh, than we've seen, you know, than we've seen before, because, like, Yelena appears in Black Widow and then appears in this. Obviously you know, Jeremy Renner is from the movies and in this. So like, it's, it's showing a lot more like uh, coordination and like integration than they ever had before. And I think that's very good.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And also I think the fact that rather than trying to tell a story that, okay, well we might get, you know, it's like you, you mentioned agents of shield. And I think that's a perfect case where here's a series that they're wanting to run like multiple seasons. So now the story has to keep going and has to keep going. We have to keep stretching it out. Whereas something like this or like Hawkeye, we have a story we want to tell and we've got a beginning and a middle and an end. And we're going to get there in, you know, six, you know, five and a half, six hours. And then we're done. The- Is there going to be a Hawkeye too? Doubtful. But if they do, they can do it whenever and just happen to involve the character but they don't mm-hmm. have to. It doesn't have to be a picking up right where this one left off. Wandavision,
4: or, or it could just be off the-
1: Loki is like the one exception because it definitely left in a, a cliffhanger style, and they straight up said at the end there will be a Loki too.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Or or Hawkeye, a second season of Hawkeye could just be Kate Bishop.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's you know it's a perfect way to move forward and. Again, tell a nice self-contained story, just like Falcon and Winter Soldier. We know we're getting a Captain America 4 with Anthony Mackie as Falcon Cap, but we don't have to have – it doesn't have to be the ongoing adventures of – Bucky and the Winter Soldier running around or, yeah, not Bucky and the Winter Soldier, of Falcon and the Winter Soldier running around what wacky hijinks do they get into this week? You know, it it doesn't have to turn into a perpetual buddy comedy or, you know, Mm -hmm. cop, you know, cop duo drama or something like that. It's like, we can tell the self-contained story, launch it into something else if we want to or just move on to the next thing rather than, yeah, having to have, like, gosh, we've got, you know, 13 hours to fill. Yeah, that you can overstay your welcome really quickly when you do that. So now I think again, they've managed to, to keep the, the Marvel series, like these new, the, the Disney plus Marvel TV series. I think they've all been very solid, very good. And just the right length of time too. And then of course it finished just in time for book of Boba Fett, which I'm here for it.
4: First I'm episode still was fun. I'm I need to watch the first episode waiting for a chance to watch it with my dad. So,
1: OK, but, uh, I won't say I won't say anything more, although um, it it's good. It's good. I will absolutely say that. And I'm, I'm curious to see where they go from here. Because Boba Fett trying to become a mob boss is is an interesting story. And uh, I want to see what happens with it. And I think that pretty much wraps up episode number 251. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, most likely with codexes to look at, since uh, we we definitely will have custodes and gene-sealer cults in hand. So uh, we'll see you then. But until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and may you have a fun, safe, healthy, and Enjoyable 2022.
2: That's why we also want to get them to the battle, and back again, safely. And that's where KR MultiCase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system.
0: They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard sized miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models.
4: KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried
2: in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of
1: Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right
0: trays
4: for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs.
2: You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam.
1: are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real then you need to check out the battle mats from game mat they
2: professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs available in a variety of styles with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones winter wastelands to alien deserts there's a game mat mat to fit any kind of terrain
4: their mats are padded anti-slip waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered
2: with their folding board portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to
0: www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve.